In the time period before the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there are some significant events. And these things have to be understood well to appreciate the message and the light and the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us with by sending the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam with a risala, with this message. In our timeline, we are about 700 years before the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And today's dars, as I was telling the brother right now, it's a really fun dars. And it's a very, and every dars is fun, and every dars is interesting, but today's will be funner and more interesting than, than uh, most. These events, uh, and I'll mention some of the books and things, are historic events. I mean, these are before the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Some of them will be proven sanadan with the chain from Sahih Ahadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, giving us the information about things that happened in the past. Some of them, they are proven from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum from Mawquf, yani chains that go up to the Sahaba that explain these events that either heard it from Prophet or they knew from the news and so on. But across the board, looking at the different books of Tariq, these are documented, authenticated, and approved. What is Islam? And when we talk about Islam, today we think about the Quran and what is in the Sahih Ahadith, no doubt. But before the revelation of the Quran, before Allah subhanahu wa revealed the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Islam was the religion that was shown to Isa ibn Maryam, which was revealed to Isa ibn Maryam, because we know Isa ibn Maryam was about 600 years before Rasulullah sallallahu And before Isa ibn Maryam, the religion that was revealed to Bin Israel, whether in the time of Musa alayhi salam or Dawud alayhi salam, that was Islam. Before them and before them, before them, if you keep going to the time of Nuh and the time of Adam salam, Islam has always been the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the earth. And the message of Islam never changed. It's not like some yani, misguided religions, they say, okay, before you had to do sacrifices and prayer and all of that. And then a time came that you just believe in Jesus and you're going to have it. No. The message has always been one message. What's the message? Believe in your Lord. Believe in your Rabb. In one Allah, don't worship idols, don't worship saints, don't worship graves, don't worship anything else. No false prophets, no false idols, only one creator and follow the prophet of your time. So if we were in the time of Musa salam, we would be followers of Musa salam, upon his sharia. If we were in the time of Isa ibn Maryam, we would be followers of Isa ibn Maryam upon his sharia. But because we are in the time of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we have to follow the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi and his sharia. Today, you cannot say, I want to follow Jesus. How would you even know what the message was? Today, you cannot say, I want to follow Moses or David or Abraham or any of this, because how would you even know what their message? Those earlier books have been changed by people. The words of Allah cannot be changed, but people wrote and attributed Greeks in Konaik and all this, right? But don't get that confused by thinking the people who followed them were, were Christians and Jews. No, those were Muslim. 
People who deviated from that religion today have made up their own religions. Don't get it confused on the other side and be like Christians and Jews. They're going to Jannah. They're followers of Isa. La. They are not followers. They are the ones who make kadab. They lie upon Isa ibn Maryam. They are the ones that lie upon Musa salam, and Da'ud and so on. We are the true followers of all of those Anbiya. So this time period, because it's about 700 years before Rasulullah sallallahu as we know from the Sahih Hadith, the time between Isa ibn Maryam and Rasulullah sallallahu was about 600 years. So this is about 100 years before Isa ibn Maryam. At that time, we talked about As'ad, and he was known as Tubba. He was Mashhur, and he was well known, and we talked about uh, the 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 tribe and the structure in the last stars. Tubba' al-Himyari was now a Muslim. How did he become Muslim? As we discussed in the last stars, the two of the people who were Muslim, meaning following the, the religion of Musa salam at that time, they educated him and how he went to Mecca and he made tawaf and we talked about him going back and, and killing the, the tribe of Hudayl because of the treachery and the plot that they had put. He gets to Yemen now. That is where he's from. And Yemen, may Allah يعني, make the situation in Yemen better today. Yemen was the markaz of the Arab. And a real Arab are from Yemen. This is the home of the Arab. So this was the center. But the people of Yemen at this time were upon just pure shirk. They had all kinds of deities and all kinds of statues. Now when this king who was Tuba' who was loved by the people of Yemen came back as a Muslim, as a person of Tawheed. Now, he was, he was attacked. His own people didn't want to let him in. They stopped him from entering his own kingdom. And subhanAllah, there is a lesson here. You know, when you are loose with your morals, when you don't care about right and wrong, when you don't care about bid'ah and shirk, when you don't care about any of that, everybody will love you. Everybody will be your friend. When you go out there and say, let's lock arms with rabbis and, 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 and with priestesses and, 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 and go have these kinds of rituals, everybody, every church is going to invite you, every government official is going to love you. Why? Because you are legitimizing their shirk. Okay? But when you stand on Tawheed, when you tell people you cannot go and worship graves in Qubur and this is shirk, this is when you will become a Wahhabi and you will become an extremist. You will become this and you will become that. And you're the one who loved you and praised you and all of that will attack you. So this king, now that he's on Tawheed, his own people that loved him, now they're like, you can't enter. So he told them why? He said, because you left the religion of your forefathers. Remember this line. This line will come up repeatedly. The Quraysh will say the same thing to Rasulullah sallallahu And people of bid'ah say the same thing to us today. When we go to a place and the people are doing bid'ah and we tell them, Akhi, this is bid'ah, the sunnah is this, here is the hadith, here is the rawayah, here is the sanad, here is the ayah from Quran. They say, oh, plah, Oh, you know better than your dad? Huh? My father did this, my grandfather did this, my great-grandfather. Well, if your father was ignorant and your grandfather was ignorant, your great-grandfather, what, what do you want me to do about it? I can't help that. But when we have adilla min al-kitab, 
the evidence from the Quran and ahadith is sahiha and the authentic ahadith, then even if a little kid brings it to me, I should humble myself to follow the adil. And if you don't, that is kibr. Kibr is not dressing nice. Sometimes a brother, mashallah, dresses nice. Everybody's got to hate. <laughs> Why you got them glasses on? Why you got to hate, bro? Go buy yourself your own. If you can't afford them, I'll buy you some. Don't worry about it. Why you got to dress so nice? What's that got to do with you? Oh, he's got kibber. No, he's not got kibber. Brother just got style. Right? <laughs> right? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to dress nice. The Sahaba radiyam used to dress nice. Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi he was very well dressed. Once the great Imam Abu Hanifa, he saw somebody come to the masjid dressed shabby. He told him, come here. He lifted a, a part of which was beginning time. At that time, they used to have these big mats. Not like nice carpets, but mats. He lifted it and there was some money. And he told him, take this, go buy yourself something nice to wear. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. I was just dressed, I got money. I was just dressed like this for tawadu, because I'm so humble. <laughs> Abu Hanifa told him, this is not the place for tawadu. This is the place for tawadu. Qalb, the heart. That is what humbleness is. Don't think dressing shabby, otherwise every homeless guy on the street, mashallah, must be a zahid and a wali of Allah. La. Tawadu, humbleness, it comes in the heart. Where you could be dressed great or dressed horrible, and nobody knows except Allah what's in your heart. So, when the people of falsehood, when they see this, this is the problem. Instead of humbling themselves to accept that which is correct, they bring kibr and deny it. No, my father didn't do it, my grandfather didn't, my people don't do it, my peeps, my this, my madhab, this. And that is kibr. When Rasulullah told us in the Sahih Hadith that nobody will enter Jannah, even if they have an atoms, a small grain, the minutest amount of kibr, of pride, the Sahaba they became afraid. They said, Ya Rasulullah. One of us may like nice clothes and nice shoes and nice things. Rasulullah told him, that's not kibr. Nice clothes and nice shoes, that's not kibr. To reject the haq, to reject the truth, and to look down on others. Those are elements of pride. When the sahih hadith comes and you reject it, that is when you're mutakabbir. When you think yourself better than others, that's when you're mutakabbir. So here when this king came back and the people did not accept, he gave them da'wah. He called them towards Tawheed. He told them, look, Allah is one. Don't worship idols. Don't worship these things. We have people of knowledge with us. We had two of the scholars with us. Listen to them. They will give you the evidences. They will give you what the, from divine sources. The people didn't listen. But at that time, they had a method of knowing right from wrong. And the people of the past, they had their own. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave different situations to different people. At that time, and this you can find in Ibn Kathir, in Bidaw al Nihaya, and Ibn Sa'ad, and across the board. They used to have a mountain, a volcanic mountain. And if they wanted to know who was on the truth, two parties would go up, and a fire would come out and burn up those that were on falsehood. Yani, you're going to find out that day. I wish wood would have that situation. We go now. <laughs> Wouldn't come back after that trip. Right? 
And don't think this is something ba'id. Yani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Sahih hadith told us that in the past, the, the ghana'im, the, the, the spoils of war and sadaqat and things would be put and a fire would come from the sky and burn them up. Right? So this what we find in the kutub of tarikh is not something strange. So now, when the people who were magicians, they were the sorcerers, they were the ones that would use these things for shirk. When they came forward to deny the ulema on Tawheed, both of them went to this mountain. And when they went, the ulema, what they had at that time from scriptures, from what was revealed to Musa, والسلام, they had that with them. And what these people of shirk had, idols. And when they went up to the mountain, the fire, when it started to come, these people with idols started running. The people of Bid'ah, the people of Shirk, they know they're not upon the truth. So they started to run. The people told them, why are you running? When they were running, the fire came and burnt them up. And when the people saw this, loads of people, they entered the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They became Muslim, following the way of Musa والسلام, at that time. Tubba' died. He ruled upon Tawheed, upon the Sharia, and then he died. And those scholars died. And the people there, without knowledge, without the people of knowledge to protect, when you don't have the people of knowledge, the people of, of, of Adilla, then the Awam, they, they, they go astray. And that is why the death of a scholar should be a greater yani, time of huzn, the greater time of us becoming sad than the death of our own parents and then the death of any politicians. or any, Because the ulema are the ones that protect us. So when these ulema died, bid'ah and shirk and magic again became widespread in Yemen. Even though they claimed to be upon the religion of Musa At this time, they claimed to be people who followed Musa Like today we see the Yahud today, they claim to follow Musa But when you look at them, how do they dress? They dress in ways of the Polish and this hat came from the Polish and this came from the Russian and this. How did they worship? We, I was in uh, occupied Palestine, right? Israel today, may Allah free it. And you saw these weird practices. And you can Google it, look it up on YouTube. They take live chicken and throw them over their heads. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Look it up. A live chicken, they throw it and throw it and they torture the poor chicken over their head. Why do you do this? This forgives sins. Did Musa do this? Did Dawud do this? In this in your book? No. All a religion of bid'at. You find the same in the people who attribute themselves to Isa ibn Maryam today. Out there singing and dancing and jumping and hallelujah, blah, blah, you know. Did Isa ibn Maryam worship like this? Even in their corrupted, changed, updated, messed with book, even then they have that Isa ibn Maryam put his head on the ground to pray. But they don't do that. Instead, you see all kinds of weird rituals and putting crosses and putting this and Ash Wednesday. And who put a cross on their forehead for Ash Wednesday? Where did this come from? Right? All the religion of bid'at. But this should be a warning for us to stick to the sunnah, to be careful to stick to the sahih ahadith. Otherwise, the same bid'at will come in our religion, as we have seen. And Rasulullah sallallahu told us that you will follow the ways of them Inch by inch, letter by letter. I'm not going to go deep into that hadith, but this is something as a warning for us. 
So when this bid'ah and shirk became widespread, at that time, a man named Hassan. Hassan was the brother, or was the son of As'ad. Tubba, it was his son. He became the king. And at that time, a lot of bid'at and ignorance and things were going on. And Hassan, he was only interested in conquering. And I looked these people up even according to Western historians. I found all of them were documented and they have any coins with their faces and all this stuff. So he wanted to attack different lands. So he told his people, get ready for war. There was no fighting going on. There was no problem. But he loved. He said, I want to rule the Arab and Ajab. I want to rule the world. So he started attacking tribes and gaining areas and so on. And when he was in the land that is currently Iraq, and he was attacking and from Yemen he was conquering, the Arab tribes that were with him, they came and they said, you know, this guy, he's just like starting his wars for nothing. Just for his ego. And we're getting killed. And he's not stopping. He wants to go all the way to the land of the Ajam and keep going. And like, what's the point in this? So they spoke to his brother. And his brother's name was Amr. Amr ibn As'ad. So this is Hassan, also the son of As'ad. This Amr was his, other, was his brother, the other son of Tubba' whose actual name is As'ad. And they told Amr that nobody can get close to Hassan. He's very guarded. Everybody that comes close gets searched and checked and all of this. But you're his brother. You can get close to him. And he's not in his own land. They're traveling. So get close to him and kill him. And we'll make you the king. Subhanallah. What an evil thing the love and greed for power is. Somebody would kill their own blood. Yani, what do you have left if you don't trust your own brother? And you see history, children killing their own brothers and fathers and fathers killing. And even if you look at the Ottomans, like silent assassins, strangling kids in front of fathers. SubhanAllah. And what's the point? But this is something that they all agreed on, except one man. Dhu Ru'ayn is the name given in the Kutub of Tariq. Dhu Ru'ayn. And he was... One of those Arab tribal members and, and a wazir, an advisor, and he told Amr, don't kill your brother. Don't do it. But because everybody else was saying it, he got excited and the love for power and money and this got him misguided. So he went with a knife hidden. And as he was going, Ru'ain told him, okay, I have a, a letter for you, a message. Just keep it with you. Told him, okay. He took it, he put it with him. He didn't read it, he just went. And when he went, he killed his brother. He killed Hassan. And when he killed Hassan, Amr ibn As'ad became the king. And they started to head back to Yemen. He stopped the wars. He was like, now nah, we're good. Head back. Tribes were happy. All those that advised him were happy. But on his way back, he had a problem. He couldn't sleep. Insomnia. Before that, he slept like a baby, no problems. But after this act, he couldn't sleep. He was paranoid, he was worried. And he became upset. And he went to his magicians. At that time, again, magic was the common thing. And he asked them, what's going on? And the magicians speaking with jinn and doing all their stuff, 
told him, you know what, this is because you killed your brother. So he became upset. I mean, he, he thought one way. He thought if I get all this power and money, I'm going to be so happy. But he killed his own brother. Now he couldn't even sleep. He didn't enjoy the wealth. So he called all those wuzara, those advisors, those chieftains, right? That advised him. And he killed them all. <laughs> he had them all killed. Kutub of Tariq, some of them mentioned he had like a big bow and he had them boiled and killed. But either way, one thing is for sure he had them killed. Zuru was the only one left now. He killed one after the other. He was the last one. He said, he said I have bara' from you. I have an excuse. He said, what? He said, read the letter I gave you. Because remember I told you, don't do it. He opened the letter and there was poetry. And yani, the meaning here being that whoever kills their own brother, their own blood, whoever sheds their own blood will lose their sleep at night. They will not have, have peace in their tranquility in their life. He had warned him in a very beautiful poetic manner. And when he read this, he let him live. Just him. But everybody else, he, he killed them. Now, because he couldn't sleep and he had no peace and he had all this stress and yani, all kinds of other problems that he had, he died as well. When he died, there was a vacuum. He didn't have a son that took over and, and the royal family there did, was, was kind of shook. So a very yani, indecent man, and this is going to be a little bit funny, but and again, Ibn Hisham, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir in Bidayah and Nihaya, Ibn Sa'ad, all of them have this. I went through all of them. So this man, Lukhni'ah, he was a homosexual and a very evil man. Du Shanathir, he was known as Lukhni'ah, Du Shanathir. Fun fact, I looked him up across the board in Islamic books of history, all of them have it, and all of them accepted, right? Of Dhabi and all of them. In fact, non-Muslim historians have documented a lot, thing, a lot of things about him. In one of the books, which is called The History of Serial Murder, and in a history of serial murder, they said he was the first documented serial killer. Non-Muslim author, Michael Newton, he documents that he was the first documented serial killer. What he did as a homosexual and as a murderer and a serial killer, he got the worst people, other LGBTQ pride parade people, and he took over uh, the country by force. Don't get so surprised. Go look up the mayor of San Diego. So when he took over, he was afraid that the people who had the haq to rule, the royal family that people loved, would try to take power from him. So he made up this way, and this is across the board in the Kutub of Tariq, so don't think that this is something strange. That he would have this room that he had specially built with a big open window. Not like glass window, but a window. And he would invite the men from the royal family as they became yani, young men, and then he would rape them in an obviously homosexual manner. 
And after he was done with that, he would show up to this window and he would wave at the people and show them things as signs, you know, to show that he raped this man. And, and then the point of that was that since he got raped, he would never have the courage and nobody would respect him enough to follow him. And this is history. I mean, non-Muslims, Muslims agree. So he, was, he would murder them as well. He would murder civilians like regular people as well. He was uh, sick in the head, obviously, because he was homosexual. And also because he was a murderer, right? So he would continue this. Every young man that would be getting to that age, he would invite them and they knew what would happen. And he would forcefully rape them and then go wave to his people. And then when that young man would go out, people would make fun of him. They would, you know, it was pretty prison style uh, lifestyle there. Now, as this continued, there was a young man. And Amr, we mentioned Amr ibn As'ad, this was his younger brother, very young. And he was very handsome and intelligent, you know, a good candidate to be a good king. And when he became, and to his later teens, where he was strong enough that he became a threat, he was, Lukhnia uh, invited him. He knew what was up. And when you were going, they wouldn't let you take any weapons, they would search you, you would get a full shakedown, all that kind of stuff. But Dun Nawas, he took what we would today call a shank. <laughs> he took a blade, a knife, in his shoe. He hid it well. And the guards, they searched him, but they weren't able to find it. And when he went into that room, and when Lukhnia tried to يعني, come at him wrong, he stabbed him in the stomach. Phone checked him, right? Ripped over his stomach, stabbed him, and cut off his head. Prison style. <laughs> and after cutting off his head, it's across the board, I'm not kidding, right? He put the head in that window. Now, because it wasn't morning yet, they weren't expecting, the people weren't going and checking for the head yet. But he put the head there. Where he would come and wave would be just his head. And he got out. When he got out, he realized that those evil pride-supporting uh, soldiers that he had would kill him, knowing that he had killed this rapist homosexual king. So, he quickly got out. And when he got out from the room, the people, as they were used to, they started to make fun of him. They started to say some poetry, you know, do nawas, what happened, did you get, you know, or did you make it and this. And he replied to them in poetry. He said, you will find out soon. The guards and all of you, you'll find out soon what happened. And people are like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he left and he went, into he went into hiding. Morning came and the people went to go and see this funny scene. But what did they find? They found the head of this brutal king, serial murderer. And when they saw that, they were shocked. Now the guards are scrambling, trying to find this guy, but they couldn't find him. But the people of Yemen, they were impressed. This young man was intelligent, he was able to get a weapon in, he was able to defend himself, he was able to get away with it. And they searched him out and they told him, you need to become our king. Al-Bidayah wa Nihaya, Tarij Rus, Ibn Hisham, all of them across the board, they have this. But not just that, Dhu Nawas is mentioned in Sahih Muslim. 
And there are isharat to him in the Quran itself. And no doubt he is mentioned in Sahih Ahadith. But you may not know who he is. Right? When he came and became king, he brought the religion back away from shirk and things towards the religion of Musa But at that time, the, what you would consider today to be rabbis, and they had fallen so deep into magic that even the, the preachers were magicians. So he would take then with him a preacher. What happened here is mentioned in Surah Al-Buruj about the Ashab Al-Ukhdud. And what is the exact story is mentioned in Sahih Muslim as well. Uh, and which is famous as the boy and the king. Dhu Nawas is that king. Dhu Nawas is that king. Right? But how did that get to be? At this time, Isa ibn Maryam was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a prophet. Now the time of Isa ibn Maryam began. That means if you were following the religion of Musa alayhi salam or Dawud alayhi salam because it was corrupted as it was, but even if you were from the few that were really trying to follow the true religion, now you have to accept the prophet of your time. And who was the prophet now? Isa ibn Maryam. And if you didn't accept Isa ibn Maryam, you were no longer a Muslim. What is the Muslim? Obey Allah, follow the one Allah, the laws of Allah, worship on Allah, but also follow the Prophet of your time. So once Isa ibn Maryam came, now the people's right was that they had to follow Isa ibn Maryam. Just like when Rasulullah came, now to be a Muslim, to be a person of Tawheed, to be a person of Jannah, you have to follow Rasulullah You cannot say, no, it's okay, they still believe in God. No. Allah has ordained this. So the religion of Isa ibn Maryam, Islam, started to now spread in Sham, in current, what would be Palestine, and onwards. Right? And from there, the Muslims of the time, they started to bring that da'wah out. They would go and preach, and they would speak the truth about Tawheed. And as this da'wah was going on, there was a da'i. A person of Tawheed. In some of the books, they have him as Faymiyun. Faymiyun al Rahib. Kutub al Tarif. And they mentioned that he went from Sham to Africa. And he was giving da'wah in Africa to, towards Tawheed, away from Shirk. And when he was on his way back, some of the Arab polytheistic tribes attacked him and captured him. And they enslaved him. And this is the thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram. Alhamdulillah. To enslave free people as Westerners did in Africa and others did around the world and in China and other places. To take somebody who's just walking around and enslave them. This is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made haram. And Islam is free from and has always been free from. But the people of Kufr, this is the thing, this is the kind of thing, because they have no sharia. So they enslaved him, even though he was a free man, he wasn't at war, nothing. 
and they sold him in the area of Najran. Najran is in current day Saudi Arabia. But at that time it came under the precincts of Yemen. And here in Najran, out of oppression, he was enslaved. And he would work for his master in the daytime and he would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at night. And he would worship in the daytime too, but he was a zahid. He was a person who would spend a lot of nights just praying. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the people of Tawheed, his awliya, the ulema, miracles sometimes. Right. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a miracle at night when there was no lamps and no light, there would be a light in his place, in his quarters, in his place of worship, in his place of sleeping. And the master, he would go and see this light and he knew there was no light there. He would go and see and he would find this light and he would see him praying. So he told him, what is this? He told him, this is a, a blessing from my Rabb. So I can worship him at night. And this master became impressed. And he told him, what is this? are you something special? He said, no. He said, this is not me. It is from the one Allah. He gave him da'wah towards Tawheed. And this is where you can see the, the fake awliya, the goofies, or Sufi goofies, whatever. That they always call towards other than Allah. Our shaykh, he flies to the sky and he spits and it becomes honey and this. Right? But the true awliya, they always point to Allah. Even when they truly have miracles, they don't give credit to themselves. They say, this is from Allah. Right? So, when this man, he gave da'wah towards Tawheed, the, the master, he started to become a Muslim as well. And his da'wah started to grow. But the people there used to worship a date palm tree. That was their ilah, that was their god. Huge tree. The biggest one they had, they would worship it. They would put clothes on it and they would decorate it. Christmas tree style, I don't know. And as they would do this, they would worship it. They would make sujood to it and so on. So he told them, look, if I make dua to my Rabb, not me, but my Rabb. If I make dua to my Rabb, and my Rabb Allah destroys your ilah, your false god, will you then become Muslims? So they were like, yeah, nobody can cut this tree. This, is, this tree is strong. We got, we, got it. We, we got guards and we got people protecting it. It's kind of funny, right? <laughs> You're protecting your god, your god's not protecting you. <laughs> so they had men with weapons protecting this tree and they were like, some Wahhabi is going to try to go and take out flags off the graves or something, right? So, as this was going on, he went and he started to make salah. He started to pray and make dua and continued. And nothing happened. And not like he just made salah and suddenly, no. But he continued to make salah and dua and salah and dua until a lightning bolt came from the sky when there were no clouds. A lightning bolt came and hit the tree, burnt it up. And then a wind came and carried it. Big tree, burnt up, destroyed, shattered. And the people saw this. And they realized the stupidity of shirk. Even today, people worship idols. You go out streets and you see like a big fat Buddha sitting there. People are putting fruit in front of it that's rotting. 
They're putting cigarette packs, which I didn't even know Buddha smoked. You don't believe me? Go to some Chinese restaurants here, you see what I mean. Right? And somebody will go, some little kid running will go and knock it over and break it. And they'll be like, ah, oh, you broke my God. <laughs> so, the people started to come upon Tawheed. But now, you got Dhunawas, and you got his magicians. And the fight is not about Tawheed. The fight is about money. Because the people of Tawheed, they don't want money. They want to spread the da'wah. But the people of Batim, hit me up on Patreon, come on. <laughs> right? It's about money. So now, that these magicians and these tricksters and these charlatans, now that they know that Tawheed is spreading, they started to kill the people of Tawheed. So the people of Tawheed started to hide. They weren't strong enough to fight. They didn't have armies and things. So they would just go and they would do da'wah secretly. And they would hide. And they would worship Allah. And at this time, comes the story that is authentically reported in Sahih Muslim. And other kutub of hadith. Where there was one of these people of Tawheed. And he would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he would do da'wah. And he would teach knowledge. But he would do it secretly. And at this time, Dhu Nawas, the same one we mentioned earlier, the one who stabbed the dude, he had a magician. That magician became old. And that magician was one of the people that would order dhulm on the Muslims. And who were the Muslims of this, 